Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. So tonight, you have a really special treat. Um, A very dear friend of mine, someone who in front and behind the scenes is just an amazing person and helps out so much with the church. Um, I could not be more blessed to have him in my life as a covenant friendship and ministry partner. So if you would, why don't you stand to your feet and welcome Mr. David Hayes. Thanks, guys. That's really honoring. I feel so valued. We're going to do that two more times uh, throughout the sermon tonight. Um, man, oddly enough, I'm actually really nervous right now. It's really good. I don't know if it's just, you know, kind of public speaking in general is kind of scary, or if it's the fact that Landon said if I did that, he was going to fire me. I don't know which one it is, but I'm going to pull it together. Um, if I do pass out or uh, just start sweating uncontrollably, just kind of drag me off out the side, and Landon can just finish my outline. He's got the same content. We learned all this together. Um, no, cool. Thanks for being here on Super Bowl Sunday. I didn't know if it was going to be 150 people or three. No idea, really, our gauge for sports in our community, so apparently we're not that into them. So. <laughs> I like you guys. <laughs> um, and real quick on a side note, when Landon mentioned about the single, sorry, about the um, men's group, about men, you know, base camp's a good place for uh, get connected with men. I heard a few women scream and get excited. Do we need to start? I think I need to start our singles ministry. I think we've officially hit the time. Women, you can't be excited about base camp. We're going to create, I'm going to create a platform for you. Cedar House Singles is coming in 2019. <laughs> that's good i got you grace come see me after we're gonna plan we're gonna get this thing going um okay well in, in all seriousness i'm i'm really excited about the content for tonight um it's something that i've got a lot of skin in the game on this topic um it's it's the topic has cost me a lot i've had some revelation in it um that i'm very humbled to have had and it's also it's gained me a lot so we're gonna keep uh keep pushing down the field in landon's jesus as our model for ministry right and tonight's focus is going to be um our relationship to the community around us and the family around us and the covenant around us uh through the lens of how jesus did it um and i guess the subtitle is going to be this uh, find your people and you're going to find your purpose right? And I want to make the argument that it's almost impossible for you to find your purpose or find your purpose and and your destiny uh, without first finding your people. Um, So I'm going to break that down. To me, it's successful um, tonight if people are like weeping and gnashing teeth and the revelation is just like there's a repentance happening and I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm going to scratch that one from next, uh, next sermon. That joke didn't go over too good. Um, I really do think this is a, it's interesting topic matter for me. I think it's not only misunderstood, um, it's potentially completely overlooked in the church today. I think as Christians, we can confuse being encouraged to have prophetic 
uh, vision for our own lives to really tap into who God wants us to be. There's all this identity that comes from that. And sometimes we can accidentally swing and not realize how we're supposed to build that. And we can, we can live a little pie in the sky. So I want to dash all your dreams tonight. And let me get started. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so who was here for Landon's sermon on the poverty spirit? Raise a hand. Okay. I've heard a lot of feedback from that one. Landon was talking about it, that he's gotten a lot of feedback too. That's been um, pretty influential in people's lives. The, the poverty spirit, it's a big one. It's a big one. Trust me when I know, like, I got punched in the stomach when I heard Landon speak about it a few weeks ago, and I've heard him talk about it a million times, and I've had just so much experience with this one. It still gets me. There's just so many areas that as human beings, we can start to live in poverty. We can start to live in lack. Um, and the, a big part of that, the, probably the root reason, is that obviously the poverty spirit almost has nothing to do with money as a root cause, right? Uh, it, it ends up being about money, but for the most part, it's like the health of your internal world and where you think resources are coming from and how you, how you uh, I guess, react to them and connect with them. So the topic matter tonight really hits, I'm going to hit home on this one, the jackpot mentality um, that we think that God is like a slot machine, and we, if we hit it right, or if he hits us right, or just if it, this weird kind of magic happens, our destiny's going to come true, and everyone's going to see the hidden thing that we know we have, which is good, which is identity. But um, I, I really want to go at that, and um, I definitely think the lottery is a really good example for it. How many people, does everybody know, like, the social phenomenon of the lottery winner who just, like, tanks in life? Is everybody familiar with that? Jimbo wins a million bucks. <laughs> right? He could take a million bucks over the course of 25 years with like $250,000 a month or something like that. But obviously he opts out and takes like, he takes a million bucks just for, to have that year one. So he starts off bad. He forgoes like 99% of the fortune for a big fat check. And then like pretty soon there's like a lot of like really extravagant spending. He's got a yellow Hummer, a yellow Corvette, like sweet vanity tags. Like, you know, you know the gig, but we don't hear too much, but I'm sure they exist. We don't hear too much about, um, about a lottery winner who's like takes his money and like invests it in his community, invests it in business, uh, actually grows it, has something to pass down, is a philanthropist. Like, and, and that's who we want to be. We don't want to just be lottery winners, but if we got the pick out of those two, we want to be the person who, who has the richer, uh, richer understanding of what it means to be blessed. Um, so let me walk you through some experience that I had. So this, is, this was kind of my transition from being just infested with this jackpot poverty mentality um, to some, some breakthrough. And I just want to walk you through it. Um, so I, I grew up and I grew up playing baseball and I really loved it. I was really good at it. I was a gym rat. I was just always up at the field. I remember Christmas Day, I was up in the batting cages with like my best friends. Like we were just complete baseball nerds. Loved to talk about it. We dreamed about it. Everything. Um, baseball developed. It's kind of, it was funny looking back. I wasn't super healthy. I had some things in my internal world that I, I had not been good at stewarding and growing. Um, baseball almost, and I hate to say it, it is the lottery. Like if you get good enough at baseball, they actually do just call your number and give you like a million dollars. It's it's called the draft. Right, it's it's like it's built upon a lottery. Like it's a, it's a really bad place to learn about identity and that kind of stuff. Um, and then to back that up, you, you know, I'm playing high school baseball and even in middle school, and you got these guys called scouts. Does everybody know what a baseball scout is? They wear windbreakers, glasses, sunglasses at night. 
They have a gun that like shows how fast you throw stuff. They're, like they're measuring you and taking notes. You've got these like Illuminati that sit behind you as you're playing a game as a kid, and like they're, they're gonna like they're talking about you to like Tommy Lasorda of the Dodgers maybe or something like that. So it kind of built this like strange reality in me that like I was just gonna get plucked up and the whole world's gonna get to see my talent, right? I just I definitely took something that was not bad in itself and ran with it in a weird direction. Well, fast forward a few years, I'm in college, and um, I'm getting my undergrad degree in communication studies. It's going well, and then I also start working. I'm managing a bike shop, and I start to be pretty successful at this, too, because I, I enjoyed it, and things that I enjoy, I work really hard at. And so um, I'm growing. I'm learning how to manage people, sell products, order inventory, track inventory, even started, like, building our own frames from the ground up. It was really cool. I had amazing uh, I guess, access to just learn this business inside out. Well, I realized that I was like, I had this fantasy that the owner of this shop was just going to one day come and like give me the keys and be like, man, you're, you've done a really good job. You should obviously just have this business. <laughs> and the fantasy would keep going and get weirder. <laughs> like an angel investor was going to be so impressed with how I owned my bike shop and the gift that I was to Baton Rouge and the city that they were going to like, man, we need to open like a pizzeria and like an espresso shop and we're going to get this whole, we're going to build a brand around you. So does anyone, has anyone ever had those kind of experiences? Like, I don't think they're bad to get going with. I think it's good. It's inspiration. It's called dreams, right? We all, we all need dreams and that's not what we're trying to, uh, to really shoot in the foot here. But it's, it's, you can notice like in that analogy, there is such a lack of ownership. There is such a lack of like, in, in, in both of those aspects of my youth, I had no capacity myself to like be involved in making my dreams come true. I was just at the whim of like this rich old benefactor and it was God and it gets really creepy, right? So fast forward, this is like the, the, the third piece. And this is kind of where I start to experience some breakthrough in this. I graduate college. I, I move to Seattle. I'm out on the West Coast and I'm just kind of sowing my oats. I'm just seeing what's out there. If anything cool was to stick, I was going to stay. I had no attachment to Baton Rouge necessarily. Um, anything goes. Um, and realistically, this whole time, uh, I'm looking for my purpose outside of any people group, even my own family. Like, they're kind of, I hate to say it, they were expendable. I would leave them back here in the dust. And it wasn't like I was being called to something. I just kind of thought it'd be cool. So, I'm out there on the West Coast figuring it out, and then I start to get this revelation. God is just so cool in how he does this, man. He just takes me in this season. He takes probably a bad decision that I made in moving to Seattle, and probably for the for wrong motivation. He isolates me almost like, and spiritually I just felt like I was on this kind of like, um, how do I say it? Like just I had a real clean palate. I didn't have any input except for just this. I was in this community, and we're just living and breathing, breathing the goodness of God. God's good. He's a provider. He's involved in your life, right? Miracles are real. They can happen. I mean, that's like blowing my mind. Everything's just kind of opening up. But I still have like, well, it's funny. How I took that was actually we were all involved in a ministry. I say we all. I was Landon and Stacy were living in Seattle at the time, and we're involved in a small church. I took the same mentality and put that on the church world. I was really thinking we're about to hit it big in this like niche market of uh, odd supernatural beliefs that like we cornered the market on like miracles or something. I don't know. It was really weird. So I thought we had this like product and we were going to be like really famous. Um, and man, God just started like really pulling those out. And I mean, it's like, it's like almost embarrassing. It's exposing when God pulls this stuff out. Right. And I, 
it's never supposed to go to shame. Sometimes it is kind of like, man, that was, that was really embarrassing. Well, God was so kind to really walk me out of this thought process, first by revealing I even had that thought process. Then some really key things happened. Um, I remember Landon went to a conference uh, in Northern California, and he was listening to a man speak, and we would consider a man, this man to be one of our heroes. Um, he's somebody that has really influenced this house, uh, just a renowned speaker. Landon got to accidentally caught him in a very intimate setting of like, you know, 20-ish kind of people. Um, and they were just launching questions at him. It was a free Q&A, fantastic setting. And somebody just asked him, like, what, is, what would you consider the most important thing to like your success? How have you gotten where you've gotten? And obviously you can think Landon and I are in the same boat on this one. Like, we're wanting, like, tips to, like, be famous to some degree. Like, man, how do we, how do we be you? Well, he said something really odd. He said that, that his covenant, his decision to live in covenant relationship with, like, three to five of the closest families and, and men and their families um, was the thing that had delivered him into the most fruitful version of his destiny that he thought was possible. Holy mackerel. So that's just, like, a big punch in the gut. Landon came back. I was living, I was staying in Seattle, um, actually living in Landon's basement. Landon came and called me out of the basement. I hadn't seen daylight in a few days. I was like, what? What's going on? Like, I was kind of like, um, uh, there's like a little gremlin living down there. I'm just kidding. Um, so Landon proposes to me. Aww. He was just buddy. And he, we just started discussing um, covenant. And he, he asks if I, I'd like to go on a covenant with him. And I understood the, the term from a biblical sense. I've heard it used before, but there's some strange connotation. Like, I don't know if we need to sacrifice something or someone. Um, no idea where this is going, really. I was smart enough to say yes and to not back out. I, mean, I was dumb enough to where I just didn't really get where the whole thing was going. Um, but sometimes that's all you need. It's like a big yes. Yes, I'm in. None of this makes sense, and it's actually scary. Um, if it's important to you, it's important to me. So... Um, at that point, I made a, a covenant to Landon just as a, as a friend, but also to his family. And, and I was hitching my wagon to his, and he was hitching his wagon to mine. We're going out west. We're going to go exploring through life. And, like, where you go, I go. If you get stuck and your wagon sinks, I'm stopping and coming back to help you. There's a lot of connotation with that. And it's this whole family analogy, right? That's, that's what your family is. Um, and it's, it's technically, it's scary. It's very risky. I'm living in a basement. I didn't have a lot of good stock at the time. Like, it's not like I was, like, crushing it at Amazon. I was, like, the next Jeff Bezos or anything. Like, so there's risk on, on Landon's end to, to, to go into covenant with someone. Like, what if I just start torpedoing? So there's just this kind of inherent risk in being attached to another human being. And human beings, they slow you down. Right? They're messy. They're annoying. They're, they bring up problems. Oh, my gosh, the problems that people have, right? Right? We all have families. We all try and do Christmas. It's crazy. And not just Christmas, like just everything. It's messy, but that's like how it's supposed to be. Um, so, so through and, and like, I just that kind of aimed me to come back to Baton Rouge, realizing the importance of covenant. All of a sudden, like I cared about covenant, and it, like opened up this doorway for me where God started like revealing little pieces of His heart to me. Of like, He's like, man, when you care about my people as much as I do, I love you and I bless you and I put favor on your life. Holy mackerel, that's a big one. And that almost gets you in a good way addicted to, like, I just want to care about what you care about. Like, I'm not going to even pick the subject anymore. I mean, I thought I wanted baseball. I thought I wanted the bike shop. I thought I just wanted to do whatever I was going to do in Seattle. Like, man, I don't even care where it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, like, grow attached to the human beings that you love more than I ever could. And I'm going to, like, start to feel for them the same way you do. And the craziest thing is this, guy. This is what happened. This is just, it doesn't even make sense. 
everything else in my life started working, right? It's not a slot machine. It's not a button. But it's like aligning with the value of how God functions. When I started caring about my city, I moved back here, um, decided that I needed to get involved. I'm like, I just need to live for some other people. I need to catch the vision of a city. I need to have vision for how I want to change it positively. Um, we decided to build the church. Like, I just want to serve, that kind of thing. Well, like, my work life started increasing. Like, my the, the favor in the workplace started increasing. Um, more opportunities to... Um, to grow and be affected by people with more and more influence started popping up. The things that we all want when we're out kind of running on our own, right, just wanting our dreams to come true, they started happening. I started having opportunities, right? And I think that they're absolutely connected. Um, so I, I do. I want to look, just um, kind of discuss a few aspects of Jesus that I think are, like, really interesting and in how it relates to all this. He's obviously modeled this. Like, if I was to say, like, would you say Jesus is a family man? Like, everyone would be like, yeah, of course he is, family guy. Um, would you say he loved people? Yeah, of course. Like, you know, like, but I kind of want to, like, go a little bit deeper into some of, like, how he functioned and pull out even a bigger yes for why we should choose to live committed to other people, live out of covenants, and really try and find our people in our tribe. Um, so when, whenever I'm thinking about the, especially this, this aspect of Jesus, um, I like to go a little bit hypothetical. So I'm picturing Jesus. He's in his 20s, has not started his ministry yet, right? But you can imagine at this point he had some idea of the scope. He's becoming aware of what he is. He could be fully aware, but he understands the implications of his life, who his father is, and what he's here on earth to do. Um, and, you know, fast forward here, we're 2,000-ish years down the road, and we're still affected by the history that the gospel has called, right? We're living inside of history as the gospel changes it. Does everybody agree with me? No matter what your eschatology is, uh, the gospel is changing earth for better. Earth is looking more like heaven. We're becoming more like the bride. And we know just from scripture, Jesus is going to come back to a very good looking bride, right? We're not going to be beat up. We're not going to be torn down. So um, that's the eschatology that we believe in this house. And um, so it's very interesting to me. I'm thinking the, the way that we think humanistically about this is we start off with where we want to be and we reverse engineer it. So I'm Jesus. I'm looking two-ish thousand years down the road. I see where this thing needs to go. Huge implications. What am I going to do, man? I'm like, um, I'm trying to get my roster together, right? I need to get the whiteboard out. Who are the most influential people? Who is going to help me blast this message? Because if he just died in a field somewhere and nobody knew about it, I don't even know how that would work. I know that's kind of like getting into the nuts and bolts of God's job, but I do have questions. Um, we'll save most of those questions for a later time when they're more appropriate. But I do want, there were some like logistics involved on Jesus's end. So I find it very interesting that like, oh my gosh, man, if I'm Jesus, I'm so glad that none of us were Jesus. I'm like, okay, I need Pilate, right? Pilate's like a politician, influential, I need him. Who's the biggest dude or girl in the synagogues, man? I need like, the, they carry some weight. They're going to blast my message. They're going to influence culture. I need them whoever the Elon Musk of their time was, who is, like, on the forefront of technology and stone tablets? Like, who is, who is like, writing things and, like, chiseling? And the who's going to, where's Gutenberg? Who's going to make the printing press? You know, you're trying to get the, the team together, the squad. Well, what, it's very interesting to me 
<laughs> in my notes, it just literally says contrast the disciples. I think that's funny. Um, so you have to like, now take, take who the squad is. Take who your A team is, who we're going to think about to get the job done. And the team is disciples. Um, I'm going to be careful and measured with my language. I imagine I'm going to come face to face with these people at some point in life. <laughs> there is some accountability here when you have to meet the person you're about to talk about. I think they could walk and chew bubblegum. I don't think they were rocket scientists. <laughs> they threw nets over the side of a boat and dragged in fish for a living. That's awesome. And like, maybe they were great fishermen. They could have been, they, they could have owned a fleet of boats. There's not a lot of information. Like, I guess people probably know the answer to this. I have not researched to know exactly how influential the guys were. I don't get the picture that they were like, just like killing it. Right? I mean, like, have you heard some of the questions they asked Jesus? I'll leave it there. They literally thought he was talking about getting a, <laughs> never mind. I would have asked the same questions, but I also wouldn't be impressed with me. So I, I can be honest and call it what it is. So to me, that's very interesting. Why did Jesus start with these human beings? What He's trying to accomplish so much. Why is he, why is he, why is he starting with these guys? Um, and I think it's a few things. And um, I think really it's just three. Number one, kingdom logic doesn't function the way that we think it functions. The kingdom is upside down, inside out. It's, it's, it's knowable, but it's definitely opposite of a normal humanistic value system. Somehow, and I don't, I'm not going to say I have all the answers to this one, you start with family and you build from family and like literally like you create blood covenant with people and you work from that point forward, right? Does that make sense? That's what we're seeing Jesus model for us. The second one, and I think it's one of the results of family, Jesus surrounded himself with people with a high level of agreement, other than Judas. There was a high level of agreement and got that one. <laughs> there was a high level of agreement. So um, think about, okay, so Matthew 16, 13 rocks my world. And I actually, I really do get emotional thinking about this when Jesus is asking the disciples, like, who does everyone say I am? And they throw out some stuff. Who do you say I am? Right? And Peter fires back, man, you're the son of God. Like, I know who you are. I want to argue that I don't think that could come. If, if Jesus had chosen a corporate model for how to run his ministry, I don't think you get that answer. And that answer is a lot more complicated. That's a loaded question, especially in the context of when Jesus was asking them that. If you said that Jesus was the Son of God and the exact representation of the Father, I mean, that changes everything. It changes everything now. But in that moment, that's like, that's brand new thought, right? So just, just really want to sit on that. Like, I, I really think you only get that kind of answer and that kind of understanding of your identity from people you're in family and covenant relationship with. We get to bring that into business, but starting with the business model is not how that works. Um, and then just to kind of close that little bit up, think about the fact that Jesus started his ministry at age 30. I'm just proposing that if, if not the purpose, it, it could even just be a byproduct of what happened. He got to understand for 30 years what and who he was dying for, right? He's building a covenant with humanity because you don't just do it because you like the idea of people. You know, there's something deeper than that going on. So I'm really excited to ask Jesus about that um, someday get, you know, in heaven when I'm getting stoned by the disciples for making fun of them for my, so I could get some laughs at my center. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what I'm proposing is this. If Jesus is the exact representation of God, right, we just, let's just do what he did. Let's model ourselves. Let's start with covenant. Let's find our people group, right? Let's find our family. And I'm going to qualitate some of this. This can be a little bit, 
the, the connotations can be a little bit confusing. Let's have covenant agreeing and covenant making internal worlds and then start from there. Let's not start with the grandest version of our purpose and destiny that we can think up and figure out how the world can make it happen for us or have a poverty mentality to it, right, where we think we're going to hit a slot machine. Um, I, and I do just, I just want to be very clear, like, I don't think you're going to find your purpose or your passion or your, even the things God has put in your life um, outside of living and dying for other people. I think Jesus actually, that's one of the things he modeled was that one. Um, I think also the quickest way for your dreams to come true, I mean, even God breathed dreams, dreams that he's told you he could, he could whisper to you in the night or in dreams and tell you, like, you're going to be influential, you're going to be a politician, whatever it is. I think the quickest way for it to happen is going to be the slowest thing, and that's going to be anchor your ship to a people group. Um, anchor it to some vision, anchor it to some human beings, um, and I'll kind of hop on that in a second, but we have to do that. Um, and then to even make this more localized, like your destiny is, is literally in the person sitting next to you. Like we have to get away from this idea that the people around us are like spectators of our show, that it's like the Truman Show and like everyone's just here because like they're just going to watch us become famous or whatever it is and they get to applaud and enjoy us. That really robs, it robs every bit of richness of why the people around you are actually next to you. Here's what's crazy. God is this good that he actually put the people next to you as insignificant and as accidental as it may seem to you. He has put them there and they're going to be part of you reaching your destiny and you're going to be part of theirs, Right? It's, it, that, that's a real thing. So I think we need, I really want us to like hone in on that one um, and, and to believe that one and believe that that's true. Um, and I'm just going to clarify what I'm not saying and then I'm going to close it up here. Uh, what I'm not saying is that you have to walk this out in the context of Cedar House. Never going to backdoor you. Never going to guilt you into like, you know, you have to create covenant and you have to create it here. I would love you to. I think it'd be a really good idea for you personally if I <laughs> That would be if I could give you some advice, I would say do it here. But I, I also understand that you you have you have um, covenants and you have you've bought into vision in other places, and that's fantastic. Like when you make a covenant, stay true to your covenant, right? Stay true to the thing you bought into. It's a blood covenant. That's not saying you can't leave. And if you left the church, you're terrible. It has nothing to do with that. You get where I'm coming from. You're not the context here is you don't have to do it here. Uh, I definitely would encourage you to, and I want you to. I want to build this with everyone in this room. Um, and again, I just really understand. I'm speaking to your internal world. Your internal world, I want it to be an internal world that makes covenants and decides to die for the people around you. Um, I'm also not saying that if you decide to come here, even if just for a season, and then you decide to leave, you're going to be thought about as someone who's breaking covenant and going against this word. I can't, I just, I, it would, I would not be able to sleep tonight if I thought I miscommunicated that one. When you decide to go into covenant with a group or a vision or just an organization, you're hitching your wagon to its destiny, right? And again, I use this analogy, it's hitching its wagon to your destiny as well. Um, if you need to take off, man, we're going to celebrate you as you go. We're going to celebrate you. If you really feel like you're supposed to go do your thing and it doesn't have, it's not going to be here, man, we're going to applaud that. See if you need any resources. We're going to cover you. We'll provide so many things for you. Uh, we're, just, we're not like stuck together in a guilt kind of driven way like that. Um, I think I want to close this up. Um, I guess, too, I don't, I don't really think too many people would have trouble with this. Also, want to encourage you not to uh, 
not to be confused that just because you're around people who have made covenant, it's going to rub off on you. I think it's a really good place to start. I think it shows your value system for it. It's okay to go see it modeled. I, I went to, I, I didn't even know what it was, and I saw it modeled, and it was the healthiest thing to watch it from a distance and see the fruit on the life of people who had just chosen to do life together and chosen, literally, uh, the, the guy that we're, we're talking about that really impacted us with, when he explained Covenant for the first time in California was explaining it to the depth of, like, even if, if the people I'm with, really, they start, like, failing in life, he's like, I'm not going anywhere. Even if I can quantify how much they're limiting my destiny— because I could be more famous on my own. I'm not going anywhere. So closing the back door, that 1% weird what-if scenario that would give you a back door to get out, I, just, I think God blesses people who close that door because um, it feels like you've closed off something in front of you and not to be like a Hallmark card, but like he opens the door, he closes the window, whatever the saying is you know what I'm talking about. I think that's real. Um, but it is just really important. You can't just lean on the covenant of people around you who've decided to make it. It's a very personal decision. And so I just challenge and encourage everyone to, to make that decision as well. Um, okay, I think Landon's going to bring up, I'm, I'm going to close it out here in a second. Landon's going to bring up uh, some of the kids. They got a surprise uh, that we're really excited to roll out. Let me get everybody just to stand up. I just want to pray over us. Um, Go ahead and grab hands, too. I thought about that before I asked you, just so you know. I'm going to create a single section. where we'll, They'll all hold hands in the back, and we'll get some dating going. I don't have it yet, Grace. I'm sorry. We'll get it going. Um, yeah, let me just pray over you. If, if, if you like what I'm throwing out here, just posture yourself in agreement. I think that's all you got to do. Uh, Papa God, I, I bless us as a, as a church, as a family. Um, to come in contact for your heart with building covenant, to understand and be deeply moved by the revelation of what Jesus you did while you were here on earth and how you did it. We're going to forever be tinkerers and trying to figure out and reverse engineer who you were and how you did life. That's, it's our passion and pleasure to do that. So I just pray for the thickest revelation um, and the fruit of what it means to be people who don't have back doors to be people who create covenant, to show the world what it looks like and for them to know you by how we love each other. And yeah, we just, we hitch our wagons to each other. We hitch it to you. And we just tell you, you have our yes. You have our yes. You have our yes. We, we're committed to this city. Um, and yeah, we're committed to the city to, to, to the end here. We're not going anywhere. If nothing changes, man, it's not going to change the fact that we're still committed to it. So we don't do it because it's fun or it's quick. We do it because we think this is how you function. So just, again, greater levels of revelation. Amen. All right. That was your chance for the second standing ovation, but you missed it. How awesome is Dave Hayes? So good. So good. Um.